Welcome to the Fellowship of Christlike Growers podcast. We believe that agriculture is stronger when we help and support each other through the challenges and decisions we face as farmers. Our farmer sharing calls provide an opportunity to share and learn from each other's knowledge and experiences regarding the agronomy issues that matter most to our farms. think we'll get we'll get kind of going on topic here which is crop insurance and i have asked melanie utterback um which is my crop insurance agent to come on here and and talk tonight on this farmer sharing call and uh and jay and uh george if there's anything you'd like to add at this time i'm gonna i'm gonna ask uh melanie a couple questions just kind of get going and and anybody else that's on here, by all means, you know, speak up and ask questions because we don't have anything written out. Um, we're not scripted. We just we just ask questions and we share and we learn. Absolutely. <clears throat> George, anything you want to add to this? Oh, let's, let's let Melanie go. Uh, and, uh, I know Jake's got questions and started off. So, okay. Well, Melanie, I guess uh, just to kind of get things kicked off, I'll ask you. Um, you know, what types of coverages do you offer uh, in the area in the Midwest um, in terms of like blanket coverage, individual field coverage? Um, what are the percentages in which you can start out? What is the top? Um, and then let's kind of we'll maybe even go into that a little bit of detail of, um, you know, with the cost of it, is there kind of a, an area in which is maybe kind of more of a sweet spot? Um, what kind of coverages do you see on dry land acres and versus um, irrigated acres? And then let's also try to cover some things of, of when we're in season and we're getting um, different um, weather situations, what are some things that we can add on and what's, uh, what's a normal time frame in which we have to be able to make those choices to, to those crops. Okay. You've got, you got all kinds of them. I'm glad you, uh, texted a couple of those that have got them written down. Um, so of course, Jason said that, you know, I'm here in the Midwest and things are different. Um, even, you know, in Missouri, um, you know, dates are a little bit different for reporting and um, sales closing and those kinds of things. So depending on where you're at, you know, dates can be a little bit different. Coverages can be a little different as well. Um, so I just do crop insurance. Um, I do your, your row crops, but I also do pay, hay and pasture coverage as well. Um, and then hail coverage is on top of that. So multi peril coverage, of course, is what, you know, you guys probably all have, um, to cover your corn, beans, milo, you know, cotton, rice, you name it. Um, there's all kinds of different coverages out there. Um, my, the main one I stick to is revenue protection. Um, so that is if the price changes from the base price set in our area in March, um, to harvest price. So for example, this year, um, corn went from 580 to, sorry, from 590 to 685 um, at harvest. And so for those that had a harvest loss, there was also a revenue payment um, that followed that um, payment as well. The other um, is a yield protection that just protects your yield. It doesn't protect the price. Um, I try not to write that um, just because I, I see more of a benefit for the revenue protection because of the volatility of the markets. Um, as you guys know, they're always changing. Um, and so prices can change, you know, significantly, obviously a 90 cent jump on corn from March till now um, is fairly significant when you look at uh, 90 cents per bushel, when you've got a guarantee here in um, mid Missouri, Audrain County um, has a corn average of 140 bushels an acre. Um, which is fairly low, um, but pretty well, you know, we're building that average up. It was, um, in the one twenties when I first started, um, doing crop insurance about 10 years ago. So, um, and then ranges, coverage ranges start at 50% and go all the way up to 85%. 
Um, the government subsidizes everything, um, but those subsidies really cut back at 80%. So jumping from 80 to 85%, the producer is paying a lot more um, because the subsidy is a lot less. Um, so most of my guys, I would say between are between 70 and 80% in coverage um, for the corn and soybeans. Um, wheat and milo are a little bit lower. We don't have a whole lot of um, wheat claims usually on the reven- on the multi-parallel side. Um, I cover a lot of wheat with just hail coverage. Um, let's see. Trying to look here. So um, other um, coverages that I like to look at, we do replant extra. Um, so there is a replant built into the multi-parallel policy. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think, $35 an acre on corn and 25 an acre on beans, I think. 40 on corn, sorry, 40 on corn. Um, 25, take that back. It's a percent, it's a multiplication. It's eight times the base price on corn um, and three times the base price on soybeans, sorry. Revenue, the replant extra is where it gets into like 40 all the way up to, they increased it up to $80 an acre on corn um, and up to $50 an acre on beans. And you can buy that in a $5 increment. Um, That has become very popular around here just because we've been having lots of um, wet springs. Um, And then the other add-on, of course, is hail coverage. With the hail coverage, you can get um, wind, a wind endorsement, which is also becoming more popular around here. It seems like we've been having quite a bit of um, more intense wind. Um, So the wind endorsement, which also you can buy an extra harvest expense. So if you're you have wind damage and have to put that reel on um, to help pick up the corn, that kind of helps um, offset some of those costs of having to go a little bit slower um, and the loss there um, of the corn, you know, breaking. And then green snap is also included in the wind coverage as well. Um, so if you have a windstorm in the spring and it breaks it off, um, there's some coverage for that as well. Um, trying to think. There's lots to it. What questions that may help spur on some more thoughts in my head. I'm not going to lie. Jason, what questions do you have? Or Jake? Well, Mount, one? Mount, yeah. Can we go back there when you're talking about the coverage part? Um, are you kind of referencing that ARC versus PLC? Um, so ARC and PLC is with um, your USDA FSA office. Um, okay. Yeah. So crop insurance, um, we have, we kind of look at that. Um, but that is all based out of your FSA and USDA office. Okay. Now that you say that, yeah, that makes sense. You're right. Yes. But I mean, I did do lots, I did, um, sit down and do lots of figuring, um, with several producers, um, you know, to try to help them understand it a little more and, um, kind of figure out what was best for their, you know, operation. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's been a fun one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Well, if nobody's got a question, I, I, I'll be honest, uh, um, as myself, I just took over the farm. So I kind of knew into the whole thing. Um, and I'm curious, like the inside information you got as a beginning farmer uh, or any information pertaining to that. Okay, so um, have you, I don't know if in Minnesota this is, um, you know, a thing. In Missouri, there's a program called Beginning Farmer Rancher. Um, And that actually gives you um, a little bit more of a discount on your crop insurance. It also waives your administration fee. Um, So we have a $30 per crop per county admin fee um, that as a beginning farmer that is waived. And by beginning farmer, the rules on that are that you have not, you know, sold any livestock, sold any grain, um, any of that kind of stuff in your name for more than five years. Um, and so you can use that for up to five years. 
Um, and high school, college, and if you ever served in the military, those years um, are exempt from that five-year um, time frame. So that is something I would look at. Um, it also gives you, instead of um, a portion of the county yield, it actually gives you the county yield plus um, a little bit, um, depending on where you are. Um, so make sure that your crop insurance agent knows, you know, that you may qualify for a beginning farmer rancher or ask them about that. Okay. And then if that's with that, uh, sorry, has anyone else got a question? No, Jake, keep rolling. Well, I, oh, I, it's kind of a, I, uh, I did sign up for that. So I got, I just wasn't very familiar with it. And, uh, um, so with irrigation though, we got a bunch of dry land corners. And right. so I don't know if I'm doing it to my advantage, but well, I'll jack those buggers up because heck, it's a lot cheaper. Correct. And, correct. Okay. Um, so a question for you, um, in Minnesota, do they have what is called, um, enterprise by practice? Yes. Okay. Okay. So that is a newer thing within the last couple of years. And that has been a lifesaver. Um, I had producers that were creating LLCs just to put their irrigated ground in so that their dry land wasn't pulling their irrigated ground down. Um, okay. So having the multi, uh, sorry, the enterprise by practice um, has been a huge benefit. Um, a lot, we have, you know, of course we have irrigation pivots. Um, we also have several guys that run um, traveling guns. Mm -hmm. Um, so they actually try to go and get those corners a little bit more too. Um, so it, <laughs> irrigation makes it fun for those dry land corners, because in all honesty, who's going to go and harvest those corners, those dry land corners separately from their irrigated ground. hundred percent. Um, <laughs> so this is where I like, you know, the precision ag, um, you know, in the combines, because then I can go and look at those, um, and kind of pull those numbers out myself. Um, of course, talking with a producer after I do that to make that, um, legit so that they're not actually having to take the time to harvest those separately. Cause in all honesty, nobody's going to. With that um, said though, with the, you know, cause that's what we do as well with precision. So how does one go about it if they don't calibrate? Um, so in order to use your precision, um, equipment, you are to calibrate every day. Um, and technically you're supposed to calibrate twice during the day. Um, mo I mean, when you're hot and heavy in harvest, I guarantee you, most guys aren't going to calibrate twice a day. Um, if they even calibrate once. Um, right. and that's honestly just going on the honor system. Okay. Um, so what I do is, um, when I pull it from the precision ag info, I, I will put down that that's my type of production. However, once my producers sell their crop, um, then we go back and revisit those production numbers and make sure that we correct and get the accurate, um, production reported in the event of an audit ever coming. Um, sure. so it's one of those things that it takes a little bit of extra work for myself and the producer, but in the end, um, it's well worth it. Um, cause you never know when you're going to get pulled for an audit, whether it's a, you know, three year or a 10 year. Um, and I mean, I had a guy pulled for a 10 year audit twice in a matter of like five years. Um, and he was spot on both times, you know, it wasn't an issue, but he just randomly was selected twice. Um, and, and so kind of add to that as a, as a producer and, and having, um, equipment, mine is always on the low side. And mm -hmm. reason being is, is Melanie actually has access and, and is able to sit at her desk and go in and get, get all of my records anytime she, she's ready for them or, she, you know, check throughout harvest to see where I'm at. Um, 
and things. And, and so I make sure mine are on the low side. So if she goes in there and pulls numbers, I would rather be, you know, giving an information on the lower side than higher. Um, just, you know, if, what if I do get audited, um, well, I ha- I'm, I'm, I'm showing less, but I actually have more. And then when I do like, uh, sell grain, like she said, then we go back and revisit most of the time those are coming up. Like, because I have sold grain, um, through this year and knowing what my percentage was off, because I already know what I've already sold. And I know for sure what I have in the bin, I already know exactly what that percentage is. And all I got to do is say, Hey, whenever you, you go in and get these numbers were this add, add this percentage to it. And that's where we're going to be at. And I'm confident with that because I've already got, you know, sold grain. Yeah. So Jason will tell you. um, So during planting, I go into each one of my producers that have given me access to their precision ag. I'm in there at least once a week checking to see what they got planted during that week. Um, And even like replant times, there was one point, I think it was this year, I called Jason and I'm like, hey, so this is really, this one field is really weird. Um, You know, it's showing like a portion of the field planted, but not the rest of it. And he goes, would you stop stalking me? I'm planting that field right now. Um, Not meaning to, but, you know, just kind of, it was, it was odd. Um, And, you know, that just happened to be where he was working that day but it just raised a red flag with me. Um, and so I just, you know, texted him or called him. I don't remember which, and was able to find out, Oh, he's in that field right now working. Um, so it makes it really nice too, because by the time Jason gets done planting, I pretty well have his acreage report 98% done. So it's just a matter of him then coming into my office and sitting down and reviewing, um, you know, the acres, the plant dates, if there was replant dates, um, those types of things. And it, I, I would think that it probably makes it a whole lot easier for Jason. Um, yes. Doing that. And, um, thankfully our FSA office is working better, um, with me and allowing me to submit, um, you know, dates to them and acres to them instead of producers having to go to FSA and reporting first. And that's made a big difference in the last couple of years as well. It is. It is really absolutely great. I mean, it's it's just like she said. She pulls it basically forty eight hours after I get done planting, and I could guarantee I could just stop in there, review everything, sign it, and if I wanted to, I could within with you know make an appointment with her. I can make a same day appointment at FSA. Um, and by the time I could drive across town and get out to FSA, Melanie would have already sent those planning information already to the, them. And so when I go up there for, for my appointment, they get it right there in their hand. It's right there available. And it's I don't have to do anything except for drive everywhere and sign and print and review. It is absolutely terrific. Okay, so now in my instance up here, we got edible beans, and uh, so I'm curious. We, I'll, I'll be honest, we have not done it twice per day. We generally do it per crop. Um, our calibration, mm-hmm. and um, so this this year happened to be uh, irrigation was on dry land, was edible beans, and um, my insurance gal or the adjuster lady. Mm-hmm. was was gone and she wasn't gonna be back for a week well edible beans is kind of a time sensitive crop and it's not Absolutely. something you store you deliver right away so how and, and i know i my dry land was just junk and so how do i how do, how does she even go about that because i don't have a bin for her to measure i i guess we do have the uh man you'd really have to play the honor system off the um yield monitor there then Right. Um, so that's one of those things that as a crop insurance agent, um, if I were to have those types of crops, I would um, make sure and obviously the adjusters should be on it ready to you know, jump in a vehicle and go at whatever point they're needed. Um, and we're very fortunate. I've got several adjusters right around in this area. Um, when we had a windstorm, well, the end of October, um, I called um, my field adjuster. And I said, okay, Ben, FYI, we've got wind damage up here. 
I'm going to need you here tomorrow morning. Um, and I'm going to have you at this person, this person, this person, and this person tomorrow. And it ended up being, you know, four different adjusters here ready to rock and roll. Um, you know, counting those, you know, those stocks and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I would think that as an agent and adjusters up there, that they should be ready, um, to get out there at any point in time for that situation. Cause okay. it is very timely. Um, and yeah. that's one of those things too, that if you think you're going to have a claim, um, you know, maybe give them a little bit of a heads up, you know, the day before two days before and say, Hey, FYI, I think this isn't going to turn out very well. Um, is there any way that I can have a, you know, an adjuster on standby? Okay. So that's what I would, that's what I would recommend. Sure. Cause we do the same thing with hail, you know, I have a hail storm. I'm calling and saying, okay, FYI, this is my hail storm date. I'm going to need, you know, adjusters here 10 days from now, um, to start working claims. Okay. Can we go off your hailstorm deal too? Uh, back to like Jason's question, as far as t- time to call in before it qualifies and how, uh, the dollar amounts and how that works out, if you will. Sure. So, um, so on hail claims, you can add hail coverage up to two hours before a hail storm. Um, and so I could, as a, let's say, you know, today was, um, you know, October 1st and there's a massive hailstorm, you know, predicted that evening. I could have guys calling me that afternoon and saying, Hey, I need to add hail coverage to my soybeans. Um, you know, they're right at that stage where if they get hit with hail, the pod's going to bust open and my beans are going to be gone. And I can put up to $850 in acre coverage on hail on, and that's separate from your multi-parallel policy on those beans. Um, and then if, you know, the hailstorm does produce and there is damage, they can either have full coverage, a 5% deductible or a 10% deductible. Um, and so if it's full coverage, obviously if there's any hail at all, the adjusters are going out looking, um, five percent, if there's a little bit of a hail storm, are the adjusters going to go out and look? Maybe not. Um, but they probably still will at a 5% at a 10% if it's a small hail storm, they may not look this time, but the next time they definitely will. Um, that's just kind of a judgment thing. Um, I talk closely with my producers, um, to see you know, cause I don't want to take their time up either of having an adjuster come and be there for several hours. And then it only being a 2% loss. Um, so I want to make sure that I'm, you know, taking care of everybody's time, um, in that factor, um, on corn, you could go up this year, they jumped or last year, they jumped it up to $1,200 an acre coverage for hail. So if you get a payout on a hail policy, that is held separately from your multi-parallel. Um, so you could get paid out on your hail and then you have a harvest lost with your multi-parallel and you could get paid out on that as well. But hail, if there's a hail storm, you would get paid, you know, right then and there. Um, whereas with your multi-parallel, it's got to wait till harvest. Does that answer your questions, Jake? Yes. Is that the same that goes for uh, wind too then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wind um, is included in that hail. So if you chose a thousand dollars coverage on your corn for your hail policy and had w- the wind endorsement on there as well, if you had a hail storm and then you ended up having a wind storm, um, you couldn't go over a thousand dollars in coverage or a thousand dollars in loss um, with those two combined but you could go up to a thousand dollars in loss per acre. Okay. And then there's also the extra harvest expense endorsement. That's on top of that. That's a a separate amount from your hail and your wind policy. So I have one producer now that the October 25th windstorm 
is getting paid out on the wind, but he also has extra harvest expense of $40 an acre. So he's going to be getting that $40 an acre on top of the wind damage that he had in his field. Interesting. Okay. You guess who didn't get that, Jake? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's already a note in the file, Jason. Don't worry. 2023, you'll have it. Oh, it, it turned out just fine. <laughs> it turned out just Don't look at it. Yeah. On one well, farm I'm in particular. I'm interested, Melanie, in as far as your thoughts on coverage uh, for an irrigator. Is a guy, just because I, I seem to struggle with this whole thing on putting a 70, 80% your average on irrigation when, man alive, we're giving it water. Yes, yes. Okay, so um, if you qualify for multi or for, sorry, I keep wanting to say multi-county enterprise. If you qualify for multi-practice corn or uh, dry land and irrigated enterprise, um, I personally, um, a lot of my guys do the same. We drop that irrigated coverage down and keep the dry land coverage high. Um, so if you can enterprise your dry land and enterprise your, um, irrigation, then pull that irrigation coverage down. I mean, even if you have a 55% coverage on that irrigation, you've still got something in case of a massive loss. Um, you know, say heaven forbid, I mean, they're happening all the time. There's a fire, you know, a natural fire that comes through and completely destroys your crop. You're at least getting something on that irrigated ground where you wouldn't, you know, but you're paying because I mean, it costs a lot of money to irrigate as well. So your right. inputs are a lot higher. Um, and then keep your dry land up there, you know, 75, 80% where you can't irrigate that. Okay. Well, I mean, what if, uh, what if your irrigation goes down and you can't get parts and you're not able to run your irrigation that year? Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a sticky situation. Um, so when you plant it, um, if you have irrigation on that, um, and at that point you believe your irrigation system is working and you report it as irrigated acres, that's what it's going to be reported as. And that's what it will be through the entire crop year. You cannot go in and change from irrigated to dry land or vice versa. Um, it has to be decided at acreage reporting. So, you know, mid-year, your irrigator breaks down and you can't get parts. You've got irrigated coverage, whether you're using that irrigator or not. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's kind of a downfall, you know, on, you know, are you going to be able to get parts or are they going to, you know, not be able to, get them if you need them is there going to be enough water to run the irrigators all the things yes so in uh in what you're talking about doing obviously you're saying that enterprise is a better type of coverage for that rather than an individual field coverage so I didn't talk about that at the beginning. Thanks, Jason. Um, so enterprise is where you've got multiple legal sections in the same county. Um, and that can be literally in the same field. If there's a section line through the middle of that field, you could qualify for enterprise. I actually have several producers that have that, um, you know, small guys that only farm 25 acres of corn, 25 acres of beans. And every other year we rotate. Um, corn is on enterprise and beans on a uh, basic unit because they're all in one legal section and vice versa. Um, so that enterprise being in multiple legal sections um, is about half the cost of being in one legal section. Um, so, I mean, I know I've talked to several producers that I'm like, Hey, if you can pick up 20 acres in another legal section, let's go for it. You're going to cut your, you know, premium in half. And I mean, and legit, it is 
half um, to have enterprise units because you're spreading your risk, um, even if it's literally in the same field or across the road. The government doesn't see it, you know, as being right there. They just think that you're spreading your risk out on from one side of the county to the other, even if you aren't. So do what? Sorry, I was asking Jake if that made sense to him on on how that worked between enterprise. Yes, and uh, yeah, since I do run dryland corners and everything, I I participate in the enterprise side of things. Okay, okay. I, I'm curious yeah, I too. Say- though, this is totally yeah. off subject. There, different subjects. Sorry, um, and maybe it's different down there, but uh, up here now they're. Was this through the FSA too then, as far as cover crops and payment or, or deduction, mm-hmm. I guess? So NRCS, I believe. Yeah, it's through NRCS. Um, so you can report your cover crops through NRCS or you can report them through your crop insurance agent and then they get sent out to USDA NRCS. Um, but yes, there is a reduction in your crop insurance premium um, for mid Missouri, it's $5 an acre. Um, so in all honesty, some of my guys are making money, um, by planting cover crops on the ground that they're planting beans on because their bean premium is only $4 an acre and they're getting $5 off an acre, um, by planting cover crops. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so cover crops are definitely gaining more popularity around here. I would say 10 years ago, there was very, very little cover crops ever planted. And now, um, there's quite a few planted. It's a pretty, so that's one thing I also do with my producers too, is, um, any of those things that I can help them take care of, you know, reporting their cover crops, um, if they've got grain bin loans with USDA sending production out to them, um, I try to help as much as I can in that um, sense as well, just, you know, to help the producer out and make sure that their information gets sent um, to FSA to help them out as well. Anybody else have any questions? Crickets. Melanie, this is Josh speaking. I, I do have a small crop insurance book up here in Iowa myself. Okay, I was, great. I was curious to uh, a strategy that has been going around, at least I've talked to some producers too, uh, of a buy-up coverage. So obviously mm-hmm. you go up to 85 and then you have the option to buy up to 95% of your APH. And their, their idea was to do that on their corn acres and then just forego a hail policy altogether on corn since you're insuring such a high part of your APH. And then Correct. if you're bean acres, go up to either 80 or 85 on the bean with a hail policy. Yeah. So, uh, so in mid-Missouri, those buy-up options um, don't make financial sense. Um, So just to ensure like one acre of corn on an enterprise unit, it was costing about $50 an acre um, to do your multi-parallel. Well, that was the buy-up. And then you still had your multi-parallel on top of it. So it ended up being like $75 an acre to ensure an acre of corn. Um, and in mid Missouri, that just doesn't make sense. Um, I, I've ran it with several different producers and everybody's like, there is no way. Um, but up in Iowa and, you know, Illinois, Indiana, I mean, it works. Um, my marketing team has been all over me about trying to do it in, you know, mid Missouri. And I'm like, look, it doesn't work down here. You know, the guys aren't going to spend that extra money. Um, for an additional what if um coverage you know they've got the coverage they 
want and need with their multi-parole policy um, and are able to save that $50 an acre for that buy-up coverage that, you know, a lot of it is based on a county average, not even their own individual um, coverage. Josh, what is the county average up there in Iowa in your area? Oh, God, T.O. Well, so most of the stuff is down in southern Iowa, so that's a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say that we have poor, poor farmland anywhere in the state of Iowa, but not quite as, as rich as in the you know, central or northern and eastern part of the state or even the western part of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to, you know, that's a great question. I'd have to look at the T.O.s. I don't even... I can't re- remember what that would be, the county T yields. So, Josh, just out of curiosity, what company do you write for? Uh, Agrisampo. Okay. Okay. So, formerly, I'm with Rain and Hail. Formerly Arm Tech. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm with Rain and Hail out of Iowa. So, um, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was, you were talking about your the $1,200 of hail coverage. I guess that's always been something that, having that discussion how do you know what to put on for for hail because and of course you know there's different types i know a lot of people like that comp you know that comp two policy but you know Mm -hmm. you're going well how many dollars per acre do you do you need (sighs) yeah honestly um i have a few that max it out um just because they do um you know just because dad did um and the one year, uh, I have one producer that one year he dropped coverage and that was the year they had a massive hailstorm. And he goes, <laughs> I should have, you know, did what dad always did. And so he's, you know, increased it back up to what dad always had it at. Um, but honestly, it's just kind of one of those sitting down and looking at that multi peril level and saying, okay, does this cover your inputs? And a lot of the times it's a no. Um, you know, with anhydrous so high and seed being so high, I mean, there's just so many inputs these days, um, that have just gone through the roof that that hail just adds that extra, um, coverage, uh, to help cover those input costs. But hail coverage really isn't that expensive either. Um, so that makes it nice to be able to add something on for not and not spend a whole lot. Amelia, you mentioned your the green snap. Is that something that you're seeing more and more all the time? Um, we we've seen more green snap in the last couple of years, just because of the more wind we've had. Um, however, you know there are lots of um, different varieties that are you know, modified for a stronger stock. Um, and so some of them, you know, one side of the road may have massive damage with one variety, but across the road with a different variety didn't have hardly any damage. So it kind of goes back to talking to the seed dealer and determining, you know, how, how sturdy are my stocks supposed to be, um, to know on if that green snap is, you know, should I take out extra green snap or am I okay just with my multi-parallel coverage? Yeah. Cause you end up getting to the point where it's, you, know, you always have the fun insurance board discussion, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I, I want to make sure that my guys are covered if they have a massive loss, but I also don't want to just sell them insurance to sell them insurance. Um, right. Uh, and so I, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, man, I think we need to go to, and honestly, I do this when I'm looking at quotes. Um, if I don't see a more than a 10% increase, um, in coverage from like 75 to 80, I'm saying, look, it's not worth it. Like if you're at 80 and there's not that gap in there that I want to see, um, I'm like, you would be better at 75. And I've dropped several guys down um, just because I didn't see the point of them paying, you know, bumping up that 5% just to bump it up. 
So, I mean, I'll flat out tell you if I think you need to drop coverage back 5%, um, you know, cause we all hope we don't have to use insurance. I mean, it's just like our, you know, auto insurance. We hope we don't have to use it, but we have it in case we do. Now, did you guys write any livestock? Um, I don't write livestock right now. Um, I haven't had, um, anybody really interested in it. I'm working now on, um, I write quite a bit of pasture and hay ground coverage. And I also write coverage for beehives. Um, but that's all based on the rain. Yeah. The apiculture based on rainfall. So, um, you know, the pasture and hay ground coverage is becoming more popular. Did you go into that there, Melanie, both that and the bees? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So it's all based on um, a lack of rainfall and it's in a, in this area, it's a 12 by 12, eight or 12 by 12 mile grid. Um, and so once I turn that policy, turn that acreage report in, I literally sit back and do nothing. I wait for the checks to come. Um, and I've actually, um, several producers have, I'll get, you know, a couple thousand dollar check for a two month period. And they're like, Oh really? And I'm like, yeah, yep. You know, it just kind of depends. My husband and I've been um, kind of playing with it the last couple of years on different levels, um, you know, just to try to figure it out a little bit more because it's very vague. And same with the bees, it goes off uh, rainfall. Uh huh. It goes off of rainfall. The lack of rainfall. Mm hmm. And so what? <laughs> Uh, I run eight hives myself, just more or less for shits and giggles, you know, but the right classifies you to be qualified, I guess. Um, honestly, you having a hive qualifies you for apiculture coverage. Um, down here, unfortunately, <laughs> the government doesn't see the worth of a hive. Um, so talking to several of my bee keepers, um, you know, really they've got, five to $800 minimum in a hive. Um, and they're only covering close to $300 an acre or $300 a hive. But, you know, if, um, you know, if you don't have that rainfall and that, you know, the clover doesn't pollinate, you don't have honey. What are the time frames that they base the the no rain on through the year? Are they talking about in a seven day stretch, a fourteen day, a thirty day, forty five day? How how are they determining? It's, it's a two month cycle, um, so you can choose like January, February, um, April, May. Um, you can choose any months you want. You can choose to cover the entire year. Um, or you can, um, you know, like for Andy and I, usually January doesn't pay out. Um, and so I don't start our pasture and hay ground coverage in, until at least February. Um, and sometimes I wait until March and then I usually don't do anything in December. Um, and so then I'm averaging that hundred percent coverage between, you know, 10 months instead of 12 months. I've got some guys that just do, you know, March, April, May, June. And so everything is in a four month window. Um, but, you know, those spring, summer months are also more expensive, whereas your winter months are a lot cheaper. And so by spreading it out, it kind of averages out that um, cost a little bit too. Very interesting. It is. <laughs> it is. I haven't quite wrapped my mind, my brain around it yet. I'm not going to lie. But it's nice when I get a notification that, you know, a claim's been started. Um, and the thing that stinks about it is, um, so Andy and I currently have a claim sitting from August, September. Um, so it takes 60 days after um, the end of that cycle to really know if there's going to be a loss. So there was a lack of rainfall, but I won't know until probably the end of November, if I get a payout on it or not. 
but they'll just send me a check. And you don't have to do any reporting on it or anything? No, not at all. I report my acres um, by December the 1st, and I just sit back and wait. So it makes it, makes it real interesting. I see that being a more popular and popular policy with the way things are going. Yes. Yes. Um, in fact, I met with a producer that he had it, oh, four or five years ago when I first started it. And he had it for a year and didn't get paid out on it and dropped it. And now all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I think I probably need to look at that again. Um, I know it can be kind of expensive, but the payouts are incredible. Yes. Yes, they can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, a lot of guys, you know, down here, I mean, we even do it. We pay it and graze it. Um, and so it's choosing which, which one of those two we want to ensure that field for. Um, and so if we, you know, graze it for seven months out of the year, then obviously we need to go for grazing it. But if we're only grazing it for two months, um, you know, then haying it is okay. So just having that conversation of, you know, what do you do more in that field? Is it grazed more? Is it, you know, primarily for hay? Yeah. How do they base the rainfall? Is that up of like a weather station type thing or how do they base that for that area? It is. It's based on the NOAA um, weather station. So there's um, there's not one in every 12 by 12 mile grid, um, but they kind of average the ones around them. Um, and so it's all you can go into NOAA and look and see, um, you know, kind of track the rainfall throughout the two month cycle uh and see see where it's at and there's usually a couple day delay so like if we were to get a rainfall um or even like the snow we had uh yesterday um you know it would it'd take a couple days for that information to show up in NOAA But I know like rain and hail has a, um, a link to that um, right on our website. So I can just go to, you know, the rain and hail website and click the NOAA information and pull that up. Josh, you got anything else to add? No. I, I, it's one of those things you it, it's a it's a complicated <laughs> it's, it's complicated to say the very least it is it is yeah that's why i focus only on crop insurance um you know because it's always changing um yeah. there's always you know something new or they're taking something away or you know all these different buy-up options um you know learning all about those Hey, this is Jeremy. I'm sorry. I've kind of been in and out here with kids this evening, but have you talked about margin protection insurance at all yet? And if you have, just say so I can listen to the recording later. No, no, I have not talked about margin protection. Um, Josh kind of asked a little bit about um, the buy-ups. Um, so in mid-Missouri, margin is one of those that also it, it, it doesn't, it's too expensive um, for the guys down here. And so I've, I've quoted it with several producers, but it just doesn't make sense. I'd rather them, I'd rather see them with, um, a higher multi-parallel coverage where it's covering, you know, them, um, and not, you know, a county, a county loss. So, um, I personally don't write margin. I can, um, but I just haven't, it just hasn't worked for my producers at this point. That's also based off county average too, isn't it, Melanie? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can go in there. Um, 
you know, and play with your different inputs. Um, and there's so it's, I mean, insurance is, a, is gambling, you know, but I have several guys that say, man, I just feel like I'm gambling. And it kind of is, you know, you're guessing as to what is going to happen. Um, and I feel like margin just amplifies that, um, twofold, um, because you're guessing about what, you know, crude oil is going to do and what anhydrous is going to do. And in all honesty, who only, I mean, who knows, um, in order to even get a quote, um, on it. So if you've got a crop insurance agent that uses it, that's great. Um, but in central Missouri, it, it just doesn't make much sense. But I know up in Iowa, um, you know, they sell the heck out of it. So I'm yeah, sure I don't know that from, I'm, Jeremy. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know that I'm a believer in it. Like you said, Melia, it's expensive. It is. It is. And it, it's a gamble. That's why you might as well go to the casino on it, to be honest. Because again, it's county based. Not that I'm against county based plans, but it's one of those things that you'd rather be what's let's ensure your production. It's like, what's don't ensure everybody's house around. Let's just ensure what we've got. Right. Right. And, I, and I guess that's, that's kind of where I come from is I'd rather my guys get coverage on their own crops. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've got several producers that produce way above, um, you know, County average every year. Um, so it would be stupid for them to spend extra money um, for a gamble on, you know, if the county's going to have a loss. Yeah, I, I'm in kind of north central Iowa, and I'm more on the agronomy side. I don't understand crop insurance at all, so I just lean on the people around me to tell me what to do. <laughs> Yeah, I I personally say steer clear of, you know, the county-based plans myself. But, I mean, that's just me. I agree. I'll quote them. I'll quote them any day. You know, if somebody wants to look at them, I'll quote them. But uh, I haven't sold one yet. And I honestly, I don't foresee myself selling one um, to any of my current producers. Any other questions out there? I appreciate your time a lot. Uh, oh, happy to. Yes, Melanie, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you. Uh, well, not only I can get to deal with you, but uh, taking your time to to come on here and, and answer questions. And uh, I know I've definitely learned a lot tonight. And, and uh, it's, it's great that you shared with us. Thank you. Well, and honestly, I mean, if anybody has any other questions at any point, um, you know, Jason obviously has my contact info, um, you know, feel free to contact me if you've got a crop insurance policy and have questions and, um, you know, feel free to share that with me. Um, I'll be happy to look at it and, you know, kind of give you my two cents on it. Um, you know, not that I want to take your crop insurance policy from, you know, your current agent or anything like that, but I'd be happy to, you know, look at it and, um, you know, kind of go over it with you and see, um, you know, if I see any changes that I think would be beneficial for you. Well, Melanie, uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, that's the essence of what these farmers sharing calls are about. As we've said from day one, it's all about sharing uh, each of us has certain levels of knowledge and then of course certain things that we don't know a lot of things we don't mm -hmm. know and the whole goal has been when we jason and i started talking about having a way to share information with other growers and this led to starting the zoom calls uh you know and now it has evolved into podcasts these uh sharing calls have all been recorded and they now are going to become available one by one on the carbon works website it actually at the bottom of the home page uh, here very shortly within the next 
day or two, there'll actually be a link that you can click on on carbonworks.com, and then you can go to these podcasts, and then you can listen at your leisure. So we're trying to get more and more people on board. And like this tonight, we said that we were going to have calls based upon what growers want to know, what they want to hear about. And it could be agronomy and it could be certainly non-agronomy. I mean, certainly crop insurance is tied to agronomy, but we really appreciate you again, like Jason said, taking the time to share with us. And we are more than happy and I hope that you know guys if they have questions girls that they'll reach out to you and you know try to uh, learn I mean that's the whole goal we're we're about sharing knowledge and uh, I really appreciate you being a part of it tonight oh I'm happy to I'm glad to glad to do it and anytime and like I said if anybody ends up having you know more questions or you know wants me to look at their crop insurance policy feel free to you know send it my way and I'll be happy to happy to do what I can do to help. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you. And Josh, I also want to thank you for, for adding your, your uh, information. And as part of this as well, it's uh, it was very much appreciated on, on my behalf as well. Are you bet. Yeah. My, Melanie is now just 10 times mine. I can assure you that much. I, I just, <laughs> Just a, you know, a couple of you know questions, and obviously having you know written it for a, a few years, a, a little bit of experience. But like we were talking before, it's a it's a complicated business, complicated uh, uh, industry, and like like you were saying, Molly, it's always changing. Yes, yes, <laughs> for sure. So, so basically, what you're saying is, you know, just because we we talk to you one time a year, we're we're done. We could we can maybe talk to you three or four times a year and, and something can be changing within that year and maybe even for the following year. Is that correct? Correct. So, so um, I'm sure all of you are aware of president Biden shooting his mouth off and saying that double crop beans. So in central Missouri, double crop beans are not insurable. Um, And president Biden um, said that, you know, for 2022, all double crops were going to be completely insurable. Well, he shot that off without having any funding for it. Um, But um, so that isn't happening at this point in time. However, that doesn't mean that, you know, for 2023, they may not be insurable. Um, So there's work going on behind the scenes in my office. Um, You know, I I keep track of a lot of the double crop production. Um, even though it's not reported. Um, and so I'm actually going in and creating yield lines for those double crop acres just in case funding appears somewhere and those acres, you know, can actually be insured. Um, so, you know, producers don't know that I'm going and pulling the last, you know, seven years of files. Um, but that's something that, you know, I'm working on behind the scenes when I don't have people in my office. Um, you know, getting ready for the if. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The least I can do. Keep that, you know, keep stuff up to date. So I have one question um, as a crop insurance producer. I, um, I send each one of my guys a planting book if they're interested in a planting book with all their maps. Um, but after planting, I send them a complete acreage reporting or acreage book, um, Mm -hmm. with a map based, um, form. And I try to do that by each farm and what they call the farm. Um, and then I also include their FSA 578, um, if they have a replant extra policy, crop hail policy, and then past production, do any of your guys's crop insurance agents do anything like that? Or is there something that they put in those that I didn't mention or that you think would be beneficial? No, we don't, but uh, it'd be kind of nice. Okay. It is very nice, especially when you have (laughs) one for each tractor. And uh, Melanie is very nice that she'll uh, print any of those up as many as I want because I always want it and it's in a different location, but she gets me taken care of. But Jake, let me tell you, uh, when you're 
you're trying to finish a field um, and you're you're running out of seed and you're thinking, man, what is this thing exactly laid out? I'm in this little section. You know, there's 120 acres here in seven different, you know, you know, do I have seven acres left? Do I have four and a half? Having those maps right there at your fingertip, um, can, you know, that's just one instance where it can be extremely helpful. Right. I mean, I've, I've used, I use, I keep one in the sprayer, I keep one in the planter, um, you know, because even works when I'm trying to, to, you know, foliar spray and and how much I need for, you know, for the next load. Um, there's, there's many uses for it, but that's just right off the top of my head what, what I've found. I was just curious if anybody, you know, any other agents did anything, um, you know, similar to that. Because I actually send one out. Um, if guys are interested, I send one out pre-planting as well. That way they can actually, you know, keep it in the planter tractor. Um, the guys that don't have precision, because a lot of my guys do not have precision ag um, equipment. Um, and so they actually can write down plant dates and what type of seed they're putting in and at what rate they're putting it in and when they put, you know, different chemicals or different things on. Um, and so that helps them, you know, at acreage reporting time, but it also helps them keep track of their information instead of on the back of a seed ticket, um, you know, writing down yeah. information. Yeah. I never thought of it that, that way. That would be extremely helpful. Have that for, for taking notes. Yes. Yes. Yeah, my the amount of seed tickets that come in the office has decreased significantly. <laughs> well, great. Well, uh, I want to thank everybody for coming on here tonight. Um, I think uh, about time to wrap it up. And again, thanks for everybody for joining. Thanks for everybody participating and, and sharing all this information. You all have a great night. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's call presented to you by the Fellowship of Christlike Growers. We hope you can join us again soon.